You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings, Earthlings. This is your host, Chris Kalous. Before we get to the show today, the live recording from the Red Rock Rendezvous, I have a couple things I want to tell you about. First of all, the Rock Project is coming to New York City, New York area listeners. You're going to want to check that out. I just went to the Salt Lake City event a couple weekends ago, and it was totally awesome. Met a lot of great people, got some good work done, and just a generally good vibe up there. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, having fun, the Rock Project will be in New York City May 2nd and 3rd at Brooklyn Boulders. For more information, go to the Access Fund website, accessfund.org. Check out the Rock Project Tour to register there. It's limited tickets, so check them out before they go. That's the Rock Project from Black Diamond. I also want to mention that the Enormacast is now partnered with Benighted Publications. Based out of Durango, Colorado, and owned and operated by climber and guest on the Enormacast, Luke Mihal. They specialize in the print medium. Benighted produces the climbing zine, as well as books such as The Great American Dirtbags and Climbing Out of Bed, both from Luke. While print is their specialty, all their products are available on the Kindle. So check out this dirtbag-owned publishing house at climbingzine.com, where you can buy zines, books, and dirtbag state-of-mind t-shirts and hoodies. Or just be a true dirtbag and read the free articles. Either way, the Climbing Zine still loves you. I have a lot of respect for the guys at climbingzine.com. They talk about climbing the way we all do, about the transcendence, the adventure, the beauty of it all. So make sure and check them out. They love climbing and they appreciate your business. All right, last note. I didn't say it in the show, so I'll say it now. Don't forget to check your knot. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, big place. That's, 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 that's a big nice. place. You sold that out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you can. Those hands are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed the room with you. I don't think so. But we should continue with style. All right, hello and welcome to the Enormacast. I'm your host, Chris Kaluz. Those of you who are staring at me right now and wondering what's going on is I host a podcast called the Enormacast, and I'm going to do a live panel up here tonight. We're going to uh, record the show and put it out later as a podcast. The Enormacast has been going on for about three years. We've got uh, we, being me, the royal we. I uh, have 77 shows out, I think, with uh, such luminaries as uh, Ethan Pringle, who's coming on tonight. Uh, I don't know, Lynn Hill, a bunch of people you've never heard of, but uh, Climber Talk. If you don't get enough Climber Talk in your life, that's what the podcast is for. So uh, I used to have to explain what a podcast was as well, but thanks to things like uh, This American Life, I don't have to do that as much anymore. If you don't know what a podcast is, ask your grandkids. They know. Anyway, so I'm going to bring a couple folks up here in just a minute. Um, but before I do that, I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank uh, Black Diamond, who's one of the main sponsors of my show. Maxim Ropes, Bonfire Coffee, 
Um, and I also want to thank the Red Rock Bonnie Group for having me here and Mountain Gear for bringing me uh, to the show tonight. I'm going to be competing with a dino contest, but uh, that's cool. I can handle that. You, we know that dinoing is sort of the Neanderthal lowest form of climbing, so I'll just, I'll just rise above. I'll try to rise above. If you're not strong, you have to dino, right? Anyway, sorry. So um, I'm going to bring my guests up tonight, and we're going to have a little panel discussion about this thing called fear. We're going to talk about fear in climbing and uh, see what these guys have to say about it. It's sort of a ubiquitous thing. We love climbing because it's thrilling, um, and one of the reasons it's thrilling is because it's scary sometimes. And everybody, beginners to advanced, to the best climbers out there have to deal with fear sometimes. So that's going to be our panel discussion tonight. So I want to bring these guys up. Are you guys ready? Come on up. All right, Ethan's not ready. <laughs> Who just blew in the mic? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to introduce these guys to you. I asked them to come up and uh, join me on the stage, which is a little bit fearful in and of itself. Um, I gave them a little rundown on how to talk into a mic. This is how you do it. You want it right up by your mouth, just like it's an ice cream cone that you're going to take a big bite. I can see you've had, you've had lots of practice with this. Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, I know how to hold a mic to my mouth. On the far end, I want to introduce Andres Marin, hailing originally, right there, hailing originally from Colombia, but uh, a Coloradoan by uh, by desire, if you will. Um, Uray, Colorado, Ridgeway, Colorado. Where do you live? Uray. Okay. Yeah. A guide, a consummate alpine climber, an off-wood climber, just a general climber. The thing that's distinct about Andres is he is so amped up and psyched and positive all the time that he is actually a little bit ruthlessly positive. And I don't know if you've ever heard those two words together, but, but I've come up with it for Andreas because there was a time when, uh, about four years ago, actually almost exactly four years ago, that I climbed 40 pitches in the Indian Creek on my 40th birthday. And we were coming into the end of it and, and totally wrecked. And, and my friend and I did it together and we had not fallen yet, right? And that wasn't originally a goal, but it had become a goal because we were like 35 pitches in and we had neither one of us had fallen. So I come around the corner and Andres is there and people, it's a big party, people are putting up top ropes, like we're just hammering top ropes at this point after like 18 hours of doing this. And he's like, hey man, I put up a roof for you. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awesome. Where is he? He's like, oh, it's right here, man. It's binge and purge. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing my Andreas impression. That's cool. You're doing great. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, pitch 35, 36 was this 11, what, 11B, 11C off with pitch. And I like, I just came around the corner, I looked at it, and I'm like, I really appreciate that, Andreas, but I don't think you kind of get the program here. Like, we're talking like 510, 59 at this point. Like, that's what we're doing, okay? So, Andreas managed to get up and, and uh, I think I yelled something at you from, from up on the roof. I think it was something along the lines where you're like, if I fall out of this climb, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. I came down and, and it was all okay. So I, I managed to get up, binge and purge, pitch 35, and finish the day. So That was pretty awesome of you guys. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Relentless positivity. Relentless. Okay, next guy in, Ethan Pringle. How's it going, Ethan? 
Pretty good. Pretty good, Chris. Good to see you. Yeah, we were just in Spain together. Um, and actually, Ethan was just on a show um, I put out uh, about three weeks ago. Um, I just replaced it with another show. But um, So what we're going to do is we're, it would really help if you guys listen to that I'm show. I'm hurt by that, Chris, that you uh, replaced me. It happens. It I happens. thought you'd just never make another episode after yeah. that. It would just be stopping at the pinnacle. <laughs> but what we're going to do is I want you guys, it would really help if you listen to that show. So if you guys want to do it, it, you'll get it on your phone. It's about an hour long. And we're going to look at our phones for about an hour while you guys go listen to that. <laughs> so, because it, it'll help, like, put him in perspective. <laughs> no, but truthfully, I asked Ethan up because uh, there was a sort of a follow-up that we may be able to get to um, in terms of what we talked about on the show. And then uh, about a few few days later, he sort of put a put a cherry on top of some of the things we talked about on the show. So, Ethan Pringle, pro climber for most of his life. and. Uh, Thank you, Chris. And my third guest is Libby Sauter. Libby, I met at a trade show, what, last year? Did I hit you after you drank whiskey? Uh, Did I hit you after you drank some whiskey? Um, That's often how I meet people at the trade show. Yeah, say, say that again. She, he's bringing me up. Did I, did I meet you while hitting you in the face after you drank some of my whiskey? No, that wasn't me. <laughs> Another name was Face then. So, Libby told me this great story about, uh, what was it, like like being turned away from Libya as like the, the, the runway was lit on fire or something like this? Yeah, I had just come back from trying to go to Libya to where I work as a nurse, and they had, um, as we were getting on the plane in Istanbul, we sat on the plane for a minute, and then they asked us all to deplane, and uh, we, after waiting for about another two hours at the Istanbul airport, learned that they had just blown up the runway for where we were headed, which was the second time that we'd been turned around nearly midair trying to get in. So the burning question is, why were you going to Libya? <laughs> I work for an organization called the Novit Cardiac Alliance, and we do pediatric heart surgery over there. We're helping them to establish their own self-sufficient organization so they can do their own heart surgery. All right. So heart surgery is obviously important, but more importantly, um, I want to introduce her as a climber. <laughs> Libby, you currently hold the women's speed record on the nose with uh, uh, Maya. Maya Smith-Gobat, yes. Yeah. So, she, uh, Libby is a, is a wall climber from Yosemite, yeah. a speed climber, an adventure climber, um, a, a constant yeah. slackliner, and, I, and I may, that may be the first time slacklining has been mentioned on the normal cast and probably the last. Burn. <laughs> the slackliners aren't listening. They're busy slacking. Yeah, they're busy slacking. Uh, slackers. There actually is. Oh, there is a guy slacking. All right. Anyway, so I wanted to have her on the show um, because we're talking about fear, and I'm going to start with you, Libby. Um, that's going to be our sort of panel discussion. In these big, fast wall climbs, you do something that's called the Pakistani death loop. Yeah, PDL. The PDL. We don't want to harp on Pakistani. I don't know why it's called that. Why is that? Uh, there's there's legend. There's never really anything too specific. But um, the rumor is that there was a Pakistani that took a really bad fall on while climbing without a belay but tied to the anchor. So can you explain what this thing is? So the Pakistani death loop is when you are speed climbing and you want to not wait for a belay because you're trying to go so quick. So when you get up to the top, you get to your anchor, you build an anchor really quick, tie it, you pull up a bunch of your rope, you tie a knot, and then you just start rock climbing. So then there's a really big loop that goes from your knot 
through any gear that you may or may not have placed, and then to the anchor. And so you're hoping that your partner can jug really fast and get you on belay. So, all right, I don't, I actually, I've been climbing a really long time, and I understand climbing, I think, pretty well, but I don't get this. Okay, so you are climbing now away from the anchor with what, like, how much slack? How is this different than short fixing? It is, it is short fixing. Oh. It's exactly the same. But the Pakistani death loop implies that there is no belay. Because with short fixing, you can do that with or without putting yourself on belay. Like you're just doing a solo aid pitch. Right. But when you rock the PDL and really go for it, you're implying that you have no belay. And you probably have an 80 to 100 foot loop of slack out. So it's definitely a no fall zone. And the Pakistani death loop just sounds super badass. It's Way just, just kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It's super cool. Which is really short important. fixing. Yeah. Who wants to be short fixed when you could be yeah. Pakistani death loop? All right. So let me get back to it though, because I still don't get it. So if you were on the, if you did this PDL and 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 you moved like one meter off the anchor and fell at that point, what would happen to you? You don't do that. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, theoretically. No, okay, so you think about it. So you go up and you climb a pitch. On the nose, a lot of the yeah, pitches are yeah. bolted. So you get up there, and as you're mantling onto the ledge, you yell off belay. You're not really on belay. Okay. You're not. <laughs> you get up there, you, you lean into the wall, pull up about 80 feet of slack. It depends on what type of climbing you have ahead. You don't want to pull up too much rope because that's tiring and a waste of time. Um, you do a clove hitch or a figure eight to a locker or a non-locker if you're out of lockers, and then you just start climbing. So your partner's jugging on the other end of the line to a figure eight or a clove hitch, and there's a big loop of slack that goes to you. So if you pulled up 100 feet and you fall one meter off, you're going to fall 101 meters. <laughs> 100 feet plus one. It's not a good idea. Did you guys know this went on? Did you guys know that this happened? All right, I guess I'm in the dark. I mean, I... Speed climbing big walls is super safe. Yeah, it's super safe. All right, so... That's actually what the rendezvous is about. All right, so let, let's get to our topic. So, so Libby actually grew up here in Vegas, and um, and this is a sort of a full circle thing, is that she was actually in some of the clinics here um, as an early climber at the Red Rock Rendezvous. Is that correct? Yeah, nine years ago, I took drag climbing clinics here. Okay, so nine years ago, drag climbing clinics... In which she apparently learned the PDL. Are you guys learning that this weekend? Are we going to go into that at all? Is there a PDL clinic? PDL's um, on every first bolt. Yeah. What is Eamon? Eamon is teaching that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let me ask you this. So you guys go up on these routes. You also um, led the whole nose your own time, like in something like 15 hours. All right. 14, please, 14. And I read that before that you were actually throwing up with sort of uh, anxiety, is that correct? Yeah, it's the only time I've really thrown up before climbing, but it was uh -huh. going to be my first time uh, climbing the nose, and I was going to lead every pitch, and had my boyfriend was going to jug for me, okay. and tried to eat some yogurt that morning when I woke up in Foresta at about one in the morning, and was just so gripped that none of it came up, stayed down, just all came right back up. All right, so let's get to this. You didn't start out as like a totally fearless climber. That morning you weren't fearless. So can you tell me about like dealing with that? Like you're, you're, you're you at this point you've become a very uh, obviously accomplished climber to be able to even attempt something like this. So what do you do? Like, I mean, how do you deal with this fear? You deal, it never goes away. And if okay. it goes away, you're in trouble. Right. You don't want to do anything stupid. You want the fear to keep you keep you safe. Short fixing isn't stupid. 
Well, that's that's debatable. But if you feel comfortable, you know, the great thing about the nose is that a lot of it is so splitter. It's so C1 or 510 or 59 that you you are incredibly secure. And so that you feel really comfortable only having one cam between you and the anchor because barring a California earthquake, which could happen, there's no way you're going to fall. Okay. But if I get onto something where I'm a little bit nervous and I think, like, oh, this move's kind of hard for me or it's a little insecure, I'm going to place a piece so that I do have something. So you're constantly mitigating fear because if you're climbing without fear, you're in danger. So you're saying that if you're climbing without fear, you're going to be nonchalant and you're going to and you're gonna do something stupid? Is that kind of like the idea? Yeah, you might get too casual and then you get hurt. Right. Okay. Um, but these are like little mini free solos when you when you hit off on the, on the PDL, all right? Essentially. Essentially. Are you a free solower in other parts of your climbing? I mean, I dabble. If you if you spend a lot of time in Yosemite, you're gonna you're gonna go climb a newer pile buttress and climb after six. Okay. I mean, um, I'm not Alex Honnold out climbing Chaucey's Rock on the Sentinel free solo, but it's fun to get out and move sometimes. It's like climbing running. All right. So one last question then, and then we'll we'll kind of go down the line with this this line of of, of, of talking. But were you someone who you think? That's in your character? Were you a fearless kid? Were you sort of a, a, a risk taker? Or did this, was this something that you built up with knowledge or with understanding your limits and, and those sorts of things? Let's see, I wouldn't look at it as being a risk taker or being fearless and that. I just look at it as seeing something that I wanted and doing what needed to be done to achieve what I wanted. And that, I've always been a bit greedy with. Were you like a, a like a tree climber, all that sort of thing, as a kid? I, oh, there's no trees here. Actually, <laughs> oh, we have, we, have, we have some pine trees that really blend into the desert well. Um, not, I mean, a little bit, but I grew up playing baseball. You know, I grew up like classic Americana, baseball, okay. steak and potatoes. All right. Cool. Uh, we'll come back to this whole thing. So, Ethan, I, I kind of brought you up here. Be, um, like I said, Ethan just did a show with the Normacast. Um, it was actually a very personal and sort of heartfelt show. Um, he talked about uh, a, lot, a lot of pretty heavy stuff, including um, sort of the doubts that he sometimes uh, entertains in terms of his climbing career and his climbing ability. But what happened was is that a few days later, a week later or so, Ethan actually sent the project that he had gone to Spain to do, a route called Lorena Mora, which was like uh, 9A, 14D, I don't know what it was, but really hard. And... Um, I wanted to ask you, Ethan, about this idea of fear of failure, because that's another big fear that people deal with in climbing, and fear of failure being this real thing that, that holds us back to not only trying as hard as we can, but also um, even entertaining thoughts of, like, being better becomes kind of this, this game that you play in your mind. So can you talk about actually finally sending this route a few weeks later and, uh, and, and what it felt to, like, overcome this sort of fear of, of not being able to do it before you left? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting, the whole fear of failure thing, isn't it? Um, what it's really about is, like, a fear of of who you really are, like, not being good enough or something like that. Like, who you really are not being worthy of whatever you're trying to do or, <clears throat> like, just kind of a slight discomfort about, like, who you are and what it's like to be in your own skin and stuff. And I think that's that's something that plays out in a lot of different aspects of people's lives, you know, in the office and um, at home and just the whole general idea of feeling unworthy or feeling 
like you're unworthy of something, like some goal or whatever. And um, yeah, on Lorena Mora, part of the reason why I felt a little bit unworthy of it was I, I I kind of approached it like, oh, this won't be too bad for me. Like this is supposed to just be like a side project on this trip and stuff. And like, um, and I didn't, I don't know if I gave it it like the respect it deserved in the beginning. Um, eventually, I. I had some breakthrough attempts, and um, I really enjoyed myself on the route. And I had one breakthrough attempt where you were belaying me after trying the route for about two weeks plus. And uh, it was really fun. I really enjoyed myself on the route. I came away from that experience, um, that try when I got really high on the route, almost sent it when you were belaying, um, feeling, like, good about myself and, and everything. And then on subsequent days when I went back, I think I had, like, really high expectations, and I didn't meet those expectations. I fell a bunch of times at the Red Point Crux. I spent a lot of days making, like, reverse progress, basically. And the doubt about whether, like, I was up to the challenge of sending this route really crept in, and I kind of, like, allowed that doubt to settle. And uh, it was it was super frustrating because I knew deep down that I was, like, capable of climbing it, but I was just, like preventing myself from climbing it with all this these layers of doubt and like low self-esteem stuff and low confidence and you know tricking myself into thinking the conditions are playing a big part of it and stuff like that and um i think because of all the doubt and um the frustration around the climb i got really burned out on it and i really wanted to do it and deep down i knew that i could and deep down i had like a true respect for the route but on the surface I was so frustrated with it and with myself that I, I just felt like throwing in the towel like every day I went there I was like I didn't approach it with the right attitude and I was climbing with all this frustration and anger and stuff and um, finally like on my last day I basically gave up like the night before I was supposed to leave after I extended my ticket twice to give myself as much time as I possibly could before I like ultimately had to go home to try to send the route and um, the night before I left I made tentative plans with James to go to Margalef. I was yeah, well, like, you, you actually messaged me. Yeah, too, like, I was so are you over it. Tomorrow, like, I don't even care anymore. I'm gonna. It's like <laughs> this really sad message, and I was I was driving back from somewhere else, and I just kind of stayed out of it. I'm like, no, I, I'm gonna sleep in tomorrow. Like, yeah, yeah, so. I, I could tell. <laughs> I was in a mood for sure. And then I woke up the next morning, and like, I had been uh, texting my girlfriend the night before, and she was like, oh, you know, I. I totally like understand your frustration and I was like telling her how bad I wanted to be home and just not be there anymore and how badly I just wanted to go like have a fun day climbing which I felt like I hadn't even had in the right. six weeks I'd been there right. and uh, six weeks of no fun don't we all want to be professional climbers yeah and <laughs> making it sound super fun right now <laughs> but 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 yeah but I woke up and made some coffee and yeah, Jonathan and and everyone else in the house was going to Sirana, and um, I was like, you know, I, I won't, I won't like, I won't forgive myself if I don't go and try it one last sure. time. And um, and yeah, I had a lot of encouragement from everyone around me, which was good. And I, yeah, I went to the cliff with this sort of like fatalistic attitude, and I wasn't 
Where's your PMA, you know, positive mental attitude? That was it had, it had so died. far away died like at that weeks. point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was buried deep in deep in the in the, the demons of my soul. Right. But um, yeah, I went to the cliff and I warmed up and I knew that I had to make like some huge mental breakthrough to even have a chance at climbing right. the route right. because I was just in such a funk. And um, yeah, I I sort of just like walked away from the scene like the big crowd of people at El Patty and just had some like alone time and well, let like, me let me set that up. So this little zone in, in Surana in Spain is like there's several routes there including La Rambla, which is one of the like all time famous hard routes there. And it's a real scene, like all the hard climbers are hanging out there. And this afternoon like it was a crowd. Like there was a crowd over there. And I actually was dogs barking, dogs Sonny's baby. Yeah, which is which is like one of the coolest babies ever. Yeah. Just disclaimer. And I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even to go over there because I was like, it's crazy over there, and, and the last thing anybody needs is one more like <laughs> idiot American gaper standing underneath their root while they climb. But luckily, I walked over like while you were halfway up the scent. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and having belayed you before, I knew like what was at the end of it. Right. And and watching you get to the rest and like and pull over that thing, like I knew you were going to do it. And I think you knew you were going to do it. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing was, is like, yeah, so I, I just, I knew I had to make some big, like, big attitude adjustment, basically. And um, the way that I did that was I just went and found, like, a quiet corner and just had some me time, basically, as, as like, cliche as it sounds. And right. I just, like, really checked in with myself for the first time in, like, weeks. And I was like, wow, you, you know... <clears throat> You've been struggling out here, dude. Like, this has not been easy. And um, had a little, like, imaginary conversation with my parents and my girlfriend back home. And <laughs> felt a lot better. And then, yeah, climbed the route. Like, I, just, I was just like, that just made all the difference. Right. I felt like I felt like me again for the first time in weeks. And, um, it was, and then it wasn't that bad. Right. Yeah, I just, I climbed the route. With, as corny as it sounds, I climbed the route with love instead of with, like, frustration and all this other crap that I was bringing up the route with me before. Totally. And uh, and I actually enjoyed myself on it for the first time in weeks. Right. And I had fun and, like, it, the scene at the base of the cliff, like, you know, all the pro Spanish climbers and Jonathan and all these other guys and the dogs barking. Like, none of it bothered me like it was the other days. And, um, yeah, it was just, like, a really emotional moment but really like all positive emotions and then I got to the top and it was like amazing. I actually got to that same rest that I got to when you were belaying me and I started for a moment to like I wasn't I I climbed the whole thing with zero expectations up, up until that point. And I think that's part of the reason why it flowed so well and it was so much easier that time. And then I got to that rest when you walked up and um the very last, I, I had clipped the very last bolt, and Jonathan, I heard Jonathan on the ground, like, give, giving me a little pep talk, like, you've done this so many times before, dude, you know what to do, and I was like, I know, like, that doesn't mean anything, I could still fall kind of thing, um, but... I, but then, I, as soon as you I left the room, there, like, like yeah. PMA, PMA. The whiskey's down here, man. Hurry up. I know, yeah. But then I, I left the rest, and I felt really good, and I like noticed that I was like smiling. It was really weird, um, and I got to the top. Awesome. Yeah. 
well, had like a good I said, cry. I happened to walk up. Yeah, no, this guy, like, he, he, he came down, like, fully blubbering after this sport route. And, I mean, and I, I say that not jokingly because the thing that I sort of, I mean, if you've listened to the show, like, I kind of, you know, I just busted on slack mining. I bust on bouldering. I bust on sport climbing. I'm a... You know, in my heart of hearts, I'm a track climber. Like, you're a hater. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's just, you know. Uh, He's realistic. You're right. But what I realized over and over again in watching this and having hung out with Ethan and knew the backstory because I'd interviewed him like a week before is that, you know, whatever. You guys want to go do what's the resolution of Rhett, these huge, giant climbs that are going to test you to your core. These sport climbs, when they're at the high end and, and they're, they're what you are pushing yourself, like, there are these mini epics, and, and, like, it had all the, like, drama of some big El Capra, like, squashed into this. Totally. What, what is it, El like, Cap 30 did, meters? El Cap didn't have, like, a tenth of the drama that this thing had. Right, because you've been on El Cap. You've climbed it. Yeah. yeah so it's I, like, and it's pretty cool when you realize that, like, what Ethan was sort of carrying in this weird baggage was, like, it was, like, these, these things that he had to shed. And I watched him shed it, and, like... I could see it happen. It was so cool. I could, like, I saw him on this rest. Yeah, like, it was so awesome to have, like, like, the support of everyone on the ground. and Keep in mind, this rest is, there. like, the crux of all of our projects. <laughs> <laughs> but he's up there, like, shaking out on it. And I'm like, man, I'm just watching, like, watching the guy, like, shake all this shit off. Like, shaking it off with his hand. Yeah, that's how it felt. It was It was, it was cool. It was a happy moment for me, yeah. for sure. And it was, like, definitely one of the happiest, most transformative moments of my life, probably. And there you go. Yeah, and something something that I'll have, like, to be able to look back on for a long time. And, and I want to go back to something you said in the beginning about how, like, these 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 tests in life or whatever they are, and, and in this case they're climbs, like, can have this backfire of showing you that you're maybe not as good as you thought you were. You know, like, I'm supposed to be this type of climber, and this route just told me I'm not. Or, or this challenge has told me I'm not. And, and it's weird because it's one of the things I like about climbing usually. Because yeah. Because it's, it's, not, it's not blurry. Like, you fell off. Like, you tried and you <laughs> fell off. And it's, it's very not, cut and dry yeah, in a way. Like you're yeah. standing on the pad or you're hanging on the rope. And, and that just told you that you're not strong enough. You didn't prepare like you thought you would. You've maybe right. bitten off more than you can chew. And sometimes that's actually like a good feeling because in other parts of our life, you're like wondering, did I do good enough? Am I, am I living up to the, my friend's expectations, my, my spouse's expectations? Well, the climb will tell you, like, no, you're not. You're not good enough. Peace. Go on. Go away. Yeah. Come back another Or time. come back tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the other way to look right, at it. Right, yeah. Totally. So. Come back tomorrow and with a, like a really bad attitude. Right. Which is what I did for a couple <laughs> Well, of anyway, years. it was a really special experience, and it was also enlightening to realize that, that a guy that climbs this well, you know, and I'll spray, you know, I'll, I'll blow smoke all day long on how well Ethan climbs. It's, it's kind of cool to know that, like, he's up there just, like, freaking out and doubting himself just like anybody does. Whether it's, it's like... Maybe even more so. Yeah, in this case, I, feel I think like, a lot more so. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't beat myself up as bad as that. So, you, I heard you scream the, the F word a couple times. Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's emotion in the moment. Yeah. I get over it really quick. So... <laughs> But let, let, let's move on down to uh, nice Andreas. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So Andreas is a type of climber, um, and he, he's an alpine climber. And for me, like, alpine climbing and ice climbing and mixed climbing, especially, you know, not necessarily modern mixed climbing with a lot of bolts, but, like, you know, old school scratching it out in the mountains. Like, 
That's really, yeah, your eyes just got big. That's really scary climbing to me, and I don't do it. If, again, if you listen to the show, like, it's not my thing. I'm not into it. Um, but let me talk to you about being scared. Like, you do a discipline of climbing that I think uh, risk management is at its highest. And, uh, I mean, right. you know, you joke around a lot about, like, being scared and, like, going for it. But talk about that. I mean, it is, is your discipline, like, you think a, full of fear or is it something that, that I, and my perception is that it's not, that it's more scary than it actually is? No, you know, I think uh, alpine climbing and, or ice climbing in general, you are dealing with more moving pieces than for example, rope climbing or uh, uh, any kind of rope climbing, I guess. Uh, you're dealing with ice, you're dealing with snow, you're dealing with uh, conditions, something might fall from the from the top. So you have a lot of like moving parts on the whole thing. So you have to like really just keep things going and, uh, and that inner conversation that you get, right? Just like, I'm scared, like, what am I scared for? Uh, we're in the middle of nowhere in this place. We can, nothing can, you know, like, back and happen. So it is, uh, it certainly, it takes a lot, you know. Oftentimes the climbing itself is not as hard as what these guys are doing, but it's just the mental part, just exhausting, you know. You're like one after another and after another. And if you are going in new ground, new terrain, putting a new route, you just don't really know if it's going to go or not, right? And uh, oftentimes, uh you know, you pass a point of no return. So the only way to go up is just is just up. Or the only way to go down is going to be up. So uh, it, it is a lot of moving parts, but that's what makes uh, climbing the mountains such a beautiful thing. You just experience it all together. So it's pretty awesome that way. And uh, the inner conversation, what you were talking about, you know, sometimes you kind of have to... You know, talk yourself nice and tough, and sometimes you have to like talk yourself with love and and uh, the inner conversation, just feeding yourself with reasoning why you're doing things or, or why you're you're not doing things. I think this is the most important part. Seeing fear uh, from a objective and subjective side of things, uh, it really, really like at least helped me to just kind of like, all right. Let's break this down in pieces and what are we dealing with? How am I feeling? How's my partner feeling? And see what we have. So, yeah. Well, you, you just got into a moment there where you talked a little bit about learning something from it. And um, I, I, I actually talk about this a bit, you know, with my friends or, or, or people I'm close to that, like, one of the things I get from climbing is that learning to overcome these things it makes a lot of, of the bullshit in normal life, like, no big deal. And, and I think a lot of you guys probably are drawn to it for the same reason. Like, well, you know, this is happening, but I just, you know, I just got through that thunderstorm up on that route, and, like, I'm fine. Like, I could deal with this. I mean, I actually have a running joke that, that you, you guys, I always say, like, this is no big deal. I've climbed El Cap. <laughs> and, like, a lot of people have climbed El Cap, but still, you're just like, look, I can deal with this. I'm, like... No big deal. I spent days up there just, like, you know, shitting in a tube. Like, no big deal. And and can you sort of expand a little bit, and maybe we'll go down the line of, of maybe lessons or things that may be dealing with these apprehension, whether it's straight up, I'm scared I'm going to die, or, you know, fear of the route not going, or fear of, of failure, or any of those things that maybe, if you guys have any lessons or anything that you brought away from this in terms of that. You know, I think as uh, it's survival mode, man. Like fear is like mo one of the most primal feelings that humans have, and it's just uh, just be able to like 
calm it down, and then just like, all right, let's slap a goo in. Let's go. We're going to the summit. Some water. Let's do this. You know, just like keep staying uh, yourself psyched. Uh, a lot of the inner conversations that I personally get, I've been using this saying that a uh, special forces guy from Canada told me. Uh, so I talk to myself a lot, right? And uh, what he told me, he's like, we were taking a course, short story, uh, long story short, we were taking this course, and then he's uh, with these other three special forces guys, and these guys are kind of like talking and, and not paying attention. The guy turns at them and looks at them and tells them, like, never pass opportunity to shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's what I tell him. And I was like, oh, my God, that was... That was brilliant, you know? So when I'm climbing and I just get this inner conversation, this other me, I just tell myself, Andres, never pass the opportunity. Come on, let's keep on going, dude. So anyhow, there you have it. That's a good one. That's a good mantra. That's deep, definitely. On that note, done. I, I don't know. I, I think for me, sort of harping on what y'all were saying about listening to the fear and learning, for me, um, in dealing with fear, the biggest struggle is, is when to listen to it and when not to listen to it because fear is pretty important. It, it is, it you know, you're, alive. yeah, you're saying yeah, it's primal. Right. Like, it, it is what helps keep us alive and lets us know when danger's there and when we need to mitigate some circumstances. But, you know, having grown up in Las Vegas where we don't know what nighttime is because of the light pollution, you know, I grew up in this really bright city. I get into the woods, I was on Yosar for a bunch of years, and like, I am afraid of the dark. You know, when I'm like hiking out, a, someone that we've been looking for and I found, I'm, I'm walking through the woods and there's no trail and it's dark and the headlamps are dying, I am petrified. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's fear that you have to know, all right, this is unreasonable, I know these bears aren't scary, like, you just keep going. But when you're, you know, you're out on the mountain and, and shit's happening and things aren't going right, sometimes you have to listen to the fear and you got to go down if totally. you can. So, like, fear is something to not, for me, not necessarily just ignore and to pony up, but to listen to and see whether or not it is a valid response to the situation or not. Yeah, that's right there. Yeah. Bombs. <laughs> oh, no fist bumps like for you. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about this today after I saw you at the sandstone quarry on your way to Secret 13 and... You were like, okay, yeah, so this, this is what we're going to talk about, fear. Um, and I thought a lot about it, and yeah, like like Andre said and like Libby said, there are certain types of fear that we need to listen to to survive. There are certain types of healthy fear that keep you in check, you know? Fear telling you this is a dangerous situation that you should not put yourself in. And I think the fear of I'm unworthy unless I do this is a really dangerous fear if you don't listen to that other fear of this is a, this is a situation that you should not put yourself in it, because if that fear of I'm not worthy and if I don't do this people won't respect me overrides the fear of this is a really bad idea you're going to get hurt and you're going to put totally. yourself in really risky situations so this just got complicated <laughs> so <laughs> because I was thinking about like like I was thinking a little bit about Honold and the conversations that he must have with himself before doing, like, a super risky solo, you know? Sure. Like he, that guy, I think a lot of people are, like, afraid for that guy. I'm not afraid for that guy because he's having, like, the most honest talks with himself about who he is and about what kind of fear he needs to listen to and what kind of fear he can ignore, like, more than anybody else. Right. Any other climber, probably. Sure. 
Well, I, I, I respect his, his inner dialogue, certainly. I, I'm, I'm a little scared for him, still. But, yeah, I mean, so you're talking about this idea of, of listening to both types of fear. I mean, that, that's like a pretty comp complicated concept. It is, but, yeah. But I see what you mean in, in that um, the fear of sort of rejection from our peers, which is a big, a big thing. In or rejection from ourselves, too. Or from ourselves. Yeah, like, I, you know, I can't go on with, with my life unless I... Unless I do this crazy next pitch that's like, in Andres' case, is like way up in the mountains and maybe it's getting warm, maybe the ice is starting to run and, you know, maybe it's super thin, it's rhyme and it's super sketchy, there's no pro. But you have to, you know, if, if, if the fear of I owe this to myself more than the like overrules the fear of I'm going to get seriously hurt doing this, then he could get, right. get hurt doing it. That's really astute. Ethan, because like, I mean, I'm just thinking about the people who've marched off into the mountains and died because of this, because of what he's talking about. You know, they, they forced themselves to go do something that they thought, you know, was the next step in their career and the next, you know, or, or whatever it happens to be, even though they're maybe somewhere inside of them, there was a legitimate like, dude, this is too much for you. Don't go do it. I mean, but it gets even more complicated, though, because how many of our personal yeah, growths have come from... All right, Daniel. No, go ahead. All right, one last thing. Like, <laughs> no, no, your personal no. growths come from situations where you're like, I'm not really sure, and you're analyzing a situation, and you continue to press through, and you overcome, you get to the summit, it's dark, but you get off, and you're right. safe, and you have this great great experience. Right. Like, it is this, it's this constant evaluation, this constant battle. And yeah, I think sometimes you just have to, like, you wonder, and you're just like... Is this is this right for me? And then you just put yourself in that situation. And you realize this is right for me, or it might be wrong, and you die. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> or well, it might be true. right. Well, I mean, there has to be the word. I think you just used uh, was honesty. Like, I mean, to have a truly honest conversation with yourself about like how close to the line that you are. You know, it's 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 pretty intense. Like, uh, you know, pushing yourself is one thing, but. Knowing when to stop, I mean, I guess that is the line that, that people cross and get hurt or, or end up in the grave. Oh, my God. So never miss that opportunity to just shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good line. Did you? Such a good thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's uh, either way, just, just listening to your instinct, whatever it's telling you. I think that's, that's, that's the best thing you could do, you know, and um, just give it a go. You know, like, you, you have to try it. Right. If you don't try it, the worst thing you, you do to yourself is like, oh, I should have, would have right. kind of mentality. Just go and try it. Say yourself for success or for failure, whatever. It depends, you know. And, uh, yeah, just give it your best and, and learn from the experience. And, um, yeah, if you know, if you want to know about failure, go out and climbing. But right. it's more failure than success. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Or go bouldering. bouldering. Uh, that's pure, like serious failure. That's pure failure. Yeah, totally. Bouldering failure is way more serious yeah. than alpine climbing failure. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys one last question because we are getting out of time here. But you're a guide, and um, you mentioned this idea of understanding, you know, you're scared of the dark in the woods, but you have to, like, your intellectual mind says, hey, that's not real. Like, we're fine. Everybody's out here. Like, we've all got guns or whatever. Do you guys get to carry guns on stuff? Uh, no. Okay. No. That's probably good. So <laughs> they do not give monkeys guns. Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, we're out here. This is fun, and and I think that's really the struggle. Like, especially, you know, at a. I mean, actually, I'm, I was going to say at a beginning level, but that's not true. It's a struggle throughout. Like, understanding, like, am I scared because this is really dangerous, or am I scared because 
my spine and my lizard brain is telling me that I shouldn't be up here. And that's just, you know, I'm two feet above the bolt and I'm freaking out right now. Like, I'm fine. But a part of your brain is screaming like, no, you're not, no, you're not. <laughs> so you're a guide and you have to deal with this a lot with clients. Right, so right. is there, you know, what do you say? Like, how do you get somebody to realize the difference between or start to figure out the difference between perceived danger and real danger. You know, I, I have actually the conversation a fair amount, especially when I go and guide like big objectives in, in Alaska or Peru or, or uh, even ice climbs around Ure, is uh, it just like, look, when somebody telling me like I'm scared, so I, I just try to go on this uh, conversation and something that I learned from Arno from the World Rock Warriors way is like, what are you scared of? Let, let's break, let's try to break this down and see what are you scared of. Are, is, are you scared of the system? Are you scared of the exposure? Are you scared of uh, yourself? Are you scared of me? Or uh, and then you start breaking it down, and I think that that really helps m- most of the people just to like break it down and just go to like all the way to the root. And then from there, you're like, well, there you go. If you're scared of the system, but the system is good, so you kind of start bringing reasoning into into people, you know? And, and I do that myself. And then you're like, all right, I think I think we're good to go. So, and you see that people grab down, they're like, all right, let's, let's do it. Um, so I think just use reasoning, you know? Because, yeah, we, our imagination will take us to pretty dark and crazy places, you know? <laughs> and I'm telling you because my imagination is... It's not. No. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> no, I just agree that your imagination can just do really fantastic things and, and that you need to, I, I mean, think bringing logic into it because you're fighting this illogical response sometimes when it comes to the dark, you know. I was imagining all of you naked the whole time. <laughs> it was really <laughs> hot. All right, well, I think we're going to wrap this thing up. I want to thank my guests, Andreas. Ethan, Libby, for coming up and uh, bearing their, their secret, fearful souls to you guys. Once again, um, I think I got a recording this time, so this will come out in, a, I don't know, a few weeks as a podcast if you want to listen. If you want to check out the podcast, it's interviews in-depth, um, one-on-one, some panel stuff like this. It's at enormacast.com. That's enormal, like enormous. Um, pretty easy to find. If, actually, if you just Google Climbing Podcast, um, I'll come up first. So check it out and uh, let me know what you think. Send me an email. I appreciate everybody. And uh, one more round of applause for these guys. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you, guys, Chris. Yeah. That was fun. You hold beer up this rod, you're insane. I may be insane, but I'm not stupid. I didn't carry it. You did. It's in your pack. Yeah, we just gotta bring the mic stand back. This is an 